Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. You know, honestly, like I, when I discovered a term for it, it was because there was another person in my life um, who was an important person in my life at that time that also identified as non-binary. And they were kind of the first person to really explain um, to me, like kind of what I experienced. I just never really, I just didn't think about gender, I guess, is the way I would would say. Um, I kind of just put it in an irrelevant box probably because there wasn't a term that made the most sense to me until like later in my life. Um, So I was just like, sure, like I'm a girl, you know? But, you know, I think it was really helpful to hear their description of it. And then I started to kind of do more of a gender discovery process for myself. And I started asking people a lot of questions that actually paying attention to my gender more fully. Happy Pride, y'all. Welcome to today's episode of Queer Relation Tips. On today's episode, I have one of the massive pillars of I Am Clinic. They are a gender non-binary person who is very instrumental in what we do at I Am Clinic. As a visionary, I sometimes lack the business know-how, and this person, Jamie, just brings such a perspective that allows us to do something really beautiful here at the clinic. I wanted them to come on the show today, however, to talk about what it feels like to be an NB person, a gender non-binary NB person, to describe their experiences. Oftentimes I feel that I flux between gender non-binary and gender non-conforming. I identify as bisexual and my sexual orientation, but as culturally gay, it's a way that I can help kind of make sense of who I am in this world. And Jamie and I have some conversations about that from time to time. And I just find the experience of Jamie to be so informative and so liberating. The stability and the internal confidence that they bring just in who they are, not only to I Am Clinic, is such a liberating force as someone who experiences the flux to see someone who could very easily look like they're living out a heterosexual life, and we'll get to that in today's episode, but to live so confidently as a non-binary person and a mother. I just think that that blend is so beautiful and um, really kind of speaks to how we talk about gender fluidity and the sexual fluidity here at the clinic. I always like to think that it's a recipe. You know, my chocolate chip cookie recipe is going to be very different than my neighbors next door, even though we're making the same thing. And I really respect and enjoy that kind of diversity. In today's episode, we talk about what it felt like to recognize for the first time that they were NB and what it felt like to come out all the way up until motherhood and how it works for them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's take a listen. Let's start maybe in a different place, but what did your first experiences of being gender non-binary feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a kind of interesting thing to think about because my first experiences really started when I was a kid, but I wouldn't have known how to name that um, until I was like way later into adulthood because um, I really didn't figure out the term for how I experienced my gender until I was like 30, which is kind of hard to believe. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, and I still look back on it and kind of smile. So Peter Pan was my hero. And that was what I always played as. And um, I very much, I think if you were able to like have a kind of fly on the wall and my sister, you know, um, experienced this firsthand, but I very much, you know, exuded play in a, in a non-binary way. Um, I probably leaned more toward like the Peter Pan role just because that was my like absolute hero. But like, um, I mean, I could also be like just as equally like girly um, or feminine. And I mean, there was a whole bunch of stories just even growing up uh, like that, right? Um, where it's kind of like, you know, my like when I was two, like 
my mom brought home this like purple dress or whatever that I threw like an absolute fit about because I didn't want to wear it but then when I put it on I like wouldn't take it off until it was like in total shreds <laughs> so, I mean I don't know it's just like kind of interesting looking back on it um and so those were really my first experiences but then throughout um you know it's a fascinating thing to look back on because um you know, I, I think I've always felt to some extent, like I didn't quite fit in one box or the other. Um, but I never knew what to call that. And, um, I know that, you know, if I was at a party or something like that and looking at things from, you know, I know it's all very socialized and everything else, but looking at things from like a very, like, you know, like a uh, spectrum based thing, right? Where people maybe lean more on like the super masculine side or people lean more on the super feminine side. I never really felt fully like myself if it was too tilted one or the other um, in regards to just like connecting. And so I think I've always kind of gravitated toward people that even if they don't um, identify, right? As non-binary or, or gender queer or uh, fluid that like, I've always found myself finding like um, more of like a, a feeling of home with people who are kind of a little bit more in the middle. But, um, you know, honestly, like I, when I discovered a term for it, it was because there was another person in my life um, who was an important person in my life at that time that also identified as non-binary. And they were kind of the pers first person to really explain um, to me, like kind of what I experienced. I just never really, I just didn't, think about gender, I guess, is the way I would, I would say. Um, I kind of just put it in an irrelevant box probably because there wasn't a term that made the most sense to me until like later in my life. Um, so I was just like, sure, like I'm a girl, you know? Um, but, um, but, you know, I think it was really helpful to hear their description of it. And then I started to kind of do more of a gender discovery process for myself. And I started asking people a lot of questions that actually paying attention to my gender more fully. And I had gone to a conference that year, a professional conference. And we went, I went to a panel like, um, or not a panel, a breakout session that was on uh, gender inclusive language and like how to kind of utilize all that. <clears throat> and I was in a little breakout group was somebody who also identified as non-binary and they were saying, you know, there's times when like my feminine side really shows up and like times when my masculine side shows up and it's interesting to see how those play out, but they're not like, you know, separate. Um, it's just kind of one like leads more than the other in certain situations. And my response at that time um, was just kind of like, yeah, like who doesn't have that experience, you know, <laughs> which is a little dismissive. I'm like, fully honest but um then I started asking people questions and it turns out a lot of people don't have that experience and they don't experience a, like a, a both hand and they they don't think about it that way so um I did a ton of soul searching and it just felt so good in a lot of ways over the time it was scary to some extent too just because I mean, it was an understanding of self and then what does all that mean and what does it mean for advocacy and what does it mean for coming out and like all of that. Um, but it was very helpful. And I think the big, the big turning point for me, which I would not put as a qualifier to anybody else was just that I realized, oh, like I would be equally comfortable in either expression. And I think there's a lot of non-binary people who prefer you know, different, different expressions. But I think for me, it was kind of like, oh, either a male body or a female body would be expressive because there's not yet like something that's really both, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really like a, a solid thing for me. And it, like anything else in the process of coming out was nerve wracking. There's lots of misunderstanding, lots of actual, like at times, um, you know, having to confront your own difference and loneliness in that difference, like, is I think a huge bridge. Because if you choose to come out in any way, shape, or form, you're going to have to choose to understand that, like, people won't fully understand what that experience is like for you, even if they're in the same bucket, or also, like, especially if they're not, there's going to be a ton of assumptions. Um, 
And then also, you know, it's a fascinating thing with pronouns too, because there's still not like, in my opinion, I think they, then theirs is great. And I feel really at home with those pronouns myself. Um, and they're not perfect, right? Um, just because of the way that our language has been constructed. So, um, you know, I think that's taken a like while for people to get used to. And then you go through that whole process, right? Of like, how much do I make it a big deal? So anyway, there's lots there, Isaac. <laughs> Go on. I was like, you want to ask a different question? Because how have I experienced it? I'm like, my goodness. And what facet? Because I also think very deeply about things. And so there's been a lot of stuff, you know, that has emerged from this, but I'm so thankful for it, you know. I think one part of our language, and I experienced this as kind of my route into the queer community, but I think for myself, I'm reflecting back. I obviously as a five-year-old didn't know that being gay had anything to do with love and romance or even sex, mm-hmm. but I still knew Yeah, I was part of that community. But I think I told myself mm-hmm. I'm gay because I'm feminine. So I was allowing my experiences of gender to classify mm-hmm. uh, erroneously in terms of sexual orientation yeah and I think a lot of I think a lot of us kind of find our route mm. through that um, lack of language yeah you know what I mean like I'm lesbian because I'm masculine or a tomboy and yeah those they may coincide or maybe correlated somehow, but they don't necessarily have to inform one or the other. Totally. And I think for a lot of us, I'm not saying a lot of us are using the wrong identity, like a tomboy really isn't a lesbian. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. course, Yeah. Yeah. But I do think uh, the language is lacking. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just to kind of, you know, speak to the pronouns piece that that you mentioned, but I do think that mm-hmm. it would be nice if we had a lot more sophisticated language to absolutely articulate our our experiences. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, and even an understanding from an early age, right, of what the differences are um, in regards to like. So I think for me, I mean, it also you know wasn't till I was like in my early twenties that I also spent some time thinking sex and gender like uh, sexual attraction or sexual expression and gender are like not synonymous <laughs> right because that's what happens is it gets clumped in right. um sadly right the same thing that you were saying where it's kind of like gender gets clumped in but also sexual preference gets clumped in with gender um and i think well, yeah there is a, just a helpful delineation that is starting to emerge but that's still very much the case and um you know it 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 really limits the complexity of each human being because i think um you know every single person could really use more information about understanding themselves like we do all these personality tests and everything else which is super i mean i'm a huge fan of personality tests but for self-understanding but that gets skipped if you're like heteronormative Mm-hmm. if you especially it actually gets skipped if you are gay or lesbian because we like kind of these boxes but it's sort of like well you like like I my my experience of being non-binary is not going to be the exact same as any other person who is there's going to be similarities though which is comforting mm-hmm. but it's like really important to not bypass that you know um self-understanding but we have totally done that right because there's just so many people where it's like they don't know the nuances of how their soul is designed essentially Mm -hmm. because it gets clumped into um, like what i have what happened to me right where it's like well there's no other option so i'm a i'm a girl you know Mm -hmm. and i mean the richness that has come through that self-exploration has been amazing and yes it would be amazing to have legitimately widely recognized broader language but even more importantly broader understanding because i think it brings a lot of freedom to a lot of people but i do want to say too i mean there's such a deep 
interesting thing as well, the privilege of even growing up in a female body, right? So there's disadvantages, obviously. Um, and I think time period makes a big difference of when I was born. Um, but like, I think about your story and I think about people I knew growing up and everything. And yes, you, you, you are gay, right? But it's such a shame that like, because you're in a male body, and wanted to present more of your feminine side, right? That that had to be clumped together. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't actually happen as often if you're in a female body, or at least I don't think it does because fortunately through a lot of the advocacy of the feminist movement, like things like that, that has emerged to bring more rights, right? There's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. I mean, I think about my non-binary experience and it's like, you know, I can walk around town wearing a tie you know or something that is designed you know like or socialized to be incredibly masculine right and and people are like oh that's cute you know or like look at you like playing with gender that kind of thing mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen if you're in a male body playing with gender like not you know what i mean like i don't immediately become a target necessarily right sure. um so there's a lot of interesting things about that mm -hmm. that i've like come to to learn and appreciate where it's like, man, that would be so hard because then you get all of these messages. And I think especially in the time period when we grew up, right, that was huge. Like there was just still so much of that homophobia, transphobia, transphobia mm -hmm. that got passed down uh, through, I mean, the generations, right? Sure. Yeah, I think, I definitely think it was passed down, but I think it was also, um, I was five years old in 1988 and that mm -hmm. was kind of the like point in time when homosexual the hatred and the fear around homosexuality was inflamed because of the AIDS pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. And so everybody was kind of hyper aware of, uh, at least in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. hyper aware of who was feminine and who were those people. Yeah. Um, there was a lot more discussions about love the sin or hate the sin and people you know were actively talking about it on tv with their campaigns and things like that so yeah mm -hmm. i think for men especially when they say i'm gender non-binary it means that if i think by and large yeah. For them, it no longer means they can identify as gay because that's a male yeah. orientation. Um, and so I like the split of saying, and I, this is where I wonder if it'll resonate with you, but I like to say in my sexual orientation, I'm bi or pan or just queer. Mm -hmm. All those feel like the same experience to me, but culturally I'm gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because if I were to date a female, I don't think I would feel comfortable in the heterosexual mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. You know, like going to a, a barbecue where all the men are outside playing football and all the women are inside, mm -hmm. you know, chit chatting about, like, I would feel very uncomfortable. I'd want to be in the kitchen with all the women. Yeah. And there's many pieces of the queer culture that I love and that feels like home to me. So I just wonder what is your yeah. experience mm -hmm. if we thought about delineating yep. from culture? If I thought about delineating, what was that last part? A gender identity from cultural identity. Yeah, totally. I know. That's a big one. Well, and I do, I do also want to like even validate that so much more fully because it is really, I mean, right, it gets complicated with everybody's unique story. And, um, you know, even like mixed orientation couples that we work with, um, or even, you know, gay couples that are working on like, you know, one partner is like figuring out their gender and everything else. I mean, you know, it gets, it gets really deeply ingrained, right, where it's kind of like, because that's a huge part of um the identity right is like am i am i in a gay relationship anymore if my partner's non-binary mm -hmm. or i think what you just described is it's kind of like how do i step out of my you know my heteronormative lifestyle to come out if i'm in a mixed orientation relationship 
when uh, they're systemically just like all of these locked in things, right? The barbecue idea. So um, I was just really resonating with that just because we see that a lot with couple work um, at IM Clinic too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you're speaking to and it gets really complicated, which is, you know, both, yeah, it's a lot of it because of norms in society. Mm-hmm. But um, how do I experience that in culture in, term, in terms of like my own gender identity and like how that's played out? Yeah, I think, you know, that is a big one. That's a big box, but um, a really important one. I So it was very helpful for me to also delineate some things, right, when I was in the process of coming out where it's kind of like, oh, like, like the gender unicorn, I think is really helpful. Um, That would be a plug for a resource for anybody who's looking for ways to describe themselves differently or the gender bred person. Um, But just kind of breaking it down a little bit where it's like, okay, like, how do I experience my gender? And then how do I experience my attraction? And then how do I experience my sexuality? As those are the three things that I think tend to get kind of way too mixed up. Uh, for one reason or another and you know for me it was really helpful to be like okay my gender feels like two substances got poured into the same cup of about equal proportions right it's hard to say exactly like what those percentages are but like it feels pretty balanced and pretty equal um and i'll speak to that in just a second and then i think for me um on an attraction level i was realizing like oh i'm attracted to so many different body types i find so many different body types attractive. I find female body types attractive. I find trans body types attractive and male body types attractive. But I think when it really comes down to like who I want to express sexuality with in terms of actually being in a sexual experience, um, I'm most attra- I'm, I'm, I find myself most comfortable and at ease there um, in, with male bodies. But also that's a huge piece too because I am a very monogamous person. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. turns out I fell in love with and have created my life and home with a person who's in a male body and um you know that's probably really most uh, most important now that I'm older right which is it's like the person I'm with as opposed to necessarily the body type that they're in um you know if I had fallen in love with somebody else in the same way that was in a female body I'd probably feel that way now too you know so it's like how much does that influence right the, the person that you're with does influence that at least for me right um so you know but I think that as far as like that element of um of substances I mean my goodness uh, like the two substances going into a cup um you know it's been it's been yeah, it's been just so interesting um, because of just even the sense of being in a female body, learning how to take space, right? Learning how to have assertiveness and everything else. I also identify, well, I believe I am in type eight on the Enneagram in a female body. And that's an, that's a fascinating combination too, uh, just because it tends to be a more like assertive role. So I think for a long time, I was closeted in many ways, right? As, far as my whole self goes um because you learn to like kind of be careful about taking up space you learn to um you know kind of figure out what it is um that will make you not that will make you fall into just enough as opposed to too much or not enough if that makes sense those are kind of the two wound spectrums right and i think i navigated both of those i struggled with the too much part a lot um and you know i mean there's all kinds of of things that um that come from that i really resonate with you around um you know like that part where it's like man i the majority of the time, if I'm like at a party where there's conversations happening or whatnot, I usually find myself gravitating toward hanging out with people in male bodies than people in female bodies, depending on what the content of the conversation is. Um, yeah, I mean, my I think my brain is like kind of like, whoa, there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's like a more specific question that might be helpful because I realize I could probably ramble on for like a really long time about it, but. Um, 
it's painful. I think, you know, there is a, there is an acceptance of having to like realize that anytime you choose to accept the differences about yourself, you have to then see the, the pathway, right. in which that's going to create more connection for you because um, of compassion and understanding and bridging and having a softening, right. Because we don't have those rigid like defenses in place when we kind of start to accept ourselves and that's a huge blessing and a huge gift and has been throughout my life like accepting my own vulnerability and being able to lean into that a little bit more and then actually receive relationship as opposed to kind of having that be a one-sided experience i mean all of those things are amazing and very rich potential rewards right and then there's the other side too, where it's like, you have to learn how to tolerate uh, difference and loneliness in that difference to some extent, um, being a really good friend to yourself. Because again, there's going to be a lot of misunderstanding, you know, and also a lot of limitation. I mean, um, you know, the acceptance place of like, um, yeah, spaces where you have to think through it, right? Where it's kind of like, oh, like, I don't know if I feel like having that conversation with these people, or I don't know if I want to come out every single time that I meet somebody. Um, I don't know if I want to go through the um, energetic exchange that it would take to try to get people to continually remember my pronouns, right? Um I also think it's that struggle too, where you're like, I'm a whole person. So I don't want to make my whole energetic life about just that one facet of me either. Um, but it's hard because you go into lots of situations where it's like, there's just so many assumptions and so many like, you know, um, things that you kind of have to wade through. And so um, I'm a big fan of cultivating your inner circle and that, and that's been a huge thing for me is it's like, okay, when I'm at home, if the people in my like home life are generally really good about my pronouns, if the people who are close people to me are generally good about my pronouns, that helps me a lot um, in the kind of like, you know, cognitive dissonance of engaging the world. Um, but yeah, you see it through a different lens for sure. And actually I ironically in this day and age, I'm aware of like how, you know, privilege in being a male body exists too but there's a lot of privilege in being a female body as well which we don't always talk about depending on what spaces you're in so mm -hmm. yeah hope you're enjoying the show so far the team and i have been so excited about some of the episodes we've been able to put together that we'll be releasing soon one of the reasons I love these episodes so much is because they are from people just like us. People thumbing through TikTok or hopping on Grindr and Tinder and exploring the world and bumping into their own insecurities or challenges that keep them from living the love lives and relationships they crave. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions at all, it is your story and your voice that make this show so special. Hop on over to www.iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relation tips. Fill out the Google form if you want to be on the show. We would love to have you as a guest. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. Does it feel like a microaggression to you if someone on the street or in a barbecue for example we can't yeah. that one but we're to assume that you're both a straight heterosexual couple and refer to you that way or does that feel comfortable mm -hmm. uh it does not feel comfortable um i don't think for either me or my partner um but i think you know what would be the term what I, so microaggression, I don't know if I would necessarily feel like it's that way for me in those instances. I mean, it could be, right? I'm not saying it doesn't. I think that there's definitely times when it's that way. Um, missed opportunity um, would be a huge piece, kind of just that sense of like paying attention to, okay, like, um, I think we all have to do this to some extent, right? Where it's kind of like, okay, what, 
what what parts of me is this relationship going to allow to be seen so it's like i am willing and available to open that up right because i used to not be right i used to be a very transparent person but not a very vulnerable person and now it's kind of like okay you test the waters you try to figure it out but i'm open to increasing vulnerability as safety allows right and there's just a sadness there too, to some extent, because it's like um, there's a lack of permission, right? Um, that there's going to be a, there's going to be some level of conflict, some level of relationship break, right? In order to be my whole self, um, that will happen when miss immediately off the bat, misgendered, mistyped, right? Like not even allowed to have space to like be queer, right? Um, and you know then also trying to have to balance that right of um yeah like you know how much do i want to deal with like the other person's discomfort so that in the traditional sense it's like yes i think maybe what i'm trying to look back on is more um i just experience it as um yeah a missed opportunity you know like where it's kind of like oh man there's a lot more that this person could like know about me. Um, there's a lot more about my experience and a lot more about like our conversation that could like go really differently and be really different. Um, that's not really allowed to take place. But there's definitely times when I have felt the microaggression piece of it for sure. And um, I think that just comes into the, the you know, really like limited understanding of um you know what gender means and what personality means and all of that kind of stuff too i think for me probably the thing that really gets my goat is the fact that i have always throughout my life had very strong relationships with people in male bodies it just is the way that i have been um which in some ways is not surprising given the fact that like in my own gender story connecting more to my feminine side has actually been the harder piece as opposed to my masculine side um i feel more comfortable in my kind of more masculine side and i mean throughout a lot of my healing work and everything else connecting to like what i experience as my feminine side right outside of socialized constructs um has been a harder thing for me so in some ways it doesn't surprise me but boy, does that make me mad sometimes when people just assume, especially in certain cultures, right, that like that's an immediate like eyebrow raise or problem or threat to your relationship or threat to your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for Joe and I, technically we have a mixed orientation relationship, yeah. him being gay not only in his sexual orientation but also culturally mm -hmm. and me identifying as something other than gay in yeah. our gay relationship yeah. and i think it's really easy well not really but i mean it doesn't take many conversations to kind of iron out what that means especially because we are monogamous sure. but i would imagine for you and your partner there's a lot more nuances to kind of discuss mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in our relationship or what yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding out these, the term gender binary yeah. resonated with it at 30 yeah. years old, and then maybe to pivot and say, now what does this mean mm -hmm. for my relationship? Yeah, yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I'm very, very, uh, I have to say, I am very, very blessed in the sense that I have a partner who has been um, the picture of uh, unconditional love and acceptance and has been such a source of healing for me in that through so many different facets and just really like embrace that but what's really cool is even though um tim doesn't you know identify or anything he is so open to um doesn't identify as like gender non-binary something like that like is is just um you know has just been you know so explorative on his own and like likes pushing kind of some of the gender norms like he gets his nails painted and does all that kind of stuff which we both like kind of like giggle about as such a like big deal to so many people do you know what I mean it's 
so like, sure. it's yeah. literally like color on your nails it's like fine, but, but I mean I'll tell you like if it, it just I mean if you want people to raise an eyebrow it's like that's the thing I was like kind of even talking about it's like man that is so fascinating but um you know I think what's really helpful uh for us and we've been really fortunate on that is like our team effort in our relationship like really has not been defined by the bodies that we're in um you know I mean I guess sometimes they are but it's really not out of that place of like oh you get to do this because it's more like what are our preferences and then how do we get life done you know um that kind of element but um there are a ton of nuances to it for sure um you know and i think i'm thankful i've had somebody who's really sensitive where it's like uh, and empathic, right? Where it's like we might go to dinner with like a new couple or something like that. And, you know, we're processing afterward. And Tim is kind of like, man, like, that's so hard. Like, how do you decide like who you're going to tell? And then, like, every time, you know, you hear the wrong pronouns and stuff like that, it's just kind of like another experience of like, do I say something or don't I? Right. <clears throat> um, you know, and so it's a, it is a really fascinating thing. I think for us becoming new parents has been really fascinating too. It's been a whole nother exploration and understanding of gender and even just like socialized norms, um, right? The norms of like almost like hyper praising engaged fatherhood um, and kind of assumption around like natural motherhood. Um, I think for me, it's been really fascinating and this could be and probably should be a whole nother episode um is like um the difference between right we we gender we gender things like mother and father right and i'm not 100 sure that mother and father are you know connected to just the bodies that we're in or the gender we express i think it's a whole nother entity um and mother is something i very much like feel toward my daughter um you know and um and that's interesting because I still, it did not change at all my experience of my gender being non-binary, but it did it change my understanding of like what I experience as like my role or my defining role with um, my daughter. But like, I think, you know, that's really interesting because it's not actually even out of a socialized place why I feel that way. Um and, you know, with Tim, I mean, you know, he also very much identifies with father, but we both exude, you know, just a ton of warmth, care, um, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. But there's just such a difference. That each person can be nurturing yes. and each parent can be protective. Yes. And it doesn't mean more as one father or mother, yeah. quote unquote, as more than Exactly. Other, you know? That's exactly right. Exactly. Like... You know, and I think that's always been, even with Tim, that's always been a big thing for me is like, I mean, my goodness, like he has the ability to be so warm and caring and safe and all of these things that we tend to ascribe, you know what I mean? Um, he's been the picture of that for me um, in our relationship. And, you know, those are all attributes and traits that we assign, you know, outside of that but it is still fascinating how much praise um he gets for being a really engaged father and i get praise too but it's a uh, it's it's different you know and it is interesting as well because like we do get a lot of questions not all the time i mean actually I, I get less questions than i would expect but like you know we still assign like you know gen like the gender or the sex essentially assigned at birth or whatnot with evangeline like as female because that's just all we know so far right um and i feel like probably that's colored by my own experience to some extent where it's like well like sometimes to find out what you really are you have to kind of like have a starting point something to work with where it's like is this what i am or isn't it um and i know like developmentally that's a big piece too but even having people like a whole nother layer of like you know, here's mommy and like saying there and they and them with mommy has been a big, another point of transition, you know, even for me at times, right? Because we always associate she with that name. So, so much stuff here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> I'm curious how you experience some of that stuff too. If you feel like doing, I don't know. Yeah, you know. I mean, we Joe and I just yes. have a puppy, um, and we were sitting down with a friend last night, making fun of like the roles that yeah. we each play in the house and how we take care of the uh -huh. dog together. Joe said something like, yeah, and I didn't even get a present for Mother's Day. Uh. And my first reaction uh. was, I'm the mom. <laughs> like, I should have gotten something for Mother's yes. Day. <laughs> you know, like, I'm the one who's nurturing. I'm the one, like, all of these stereotypical yeah. labels. Sure. But it was, it's, it's interesting to see even in our relationship, how we've used gender and our experiences mm -hmm. of it, our, even our experiences of caring yeah. for our dog that are so invisible that inform the way we see ourselves out yeah. in the world, you know, like, um, I often think that like, I learned so much from my mom and my aunt Sarah in terms of how to love mm -hmm. and be nurturing. And I always thought, well, mm. then I'll have that kind of mother maternal yeah, energy for sure. family. Um, but yeah, you know, I do think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I was thinking about that because Mother Mother's Day wasn't too long ago and thinking mm -hmm. about are you celebrating Mother's Day? Is it um, a day that you'd like to, uh, is there another day on the calendar that would represent more yeah, of how you feel as a parent? And then even thinking for our child someday, mm. what would we do on Mother's Day? Mm -hmm. mm. Or do we kind of ignore it and celebrate something else? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think all of that is still kind of brewing in my heart. Mm. I'm excited resonate what resonates with me as those parts of my yeah. identity unfold you know parent and married spouse as opposed to just partner and not that that's how joe and i delineate things um so yeah i don't know it's there is a lot a lot to think about i think the one thing that i do appreciate about the way you describe it today is um the confidence seems really important. Mm. The confidence to say, this is my experience. Yeah. And that's what's right for me. Mm -hmm. In the queer community, because sexuality and gender yeah. are both physiologically fluid. Yeah. That I think we have to respect that fluidity and to mm -hmm. You know, almost like I'm thinking of like, um, uh, what do they call those things? I'm not a construction person, but the <laughs> the balance with the, the tubes with the bubbles, so you can know you're hanging something straight. What do they call that? Oh, the level. Level. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, like if you were to slap a level up on the wall. Uh -huh. We each tilted until that bubble was oh. where it needed to be for each of us. Yeah. And I think for a cisgender person, it might be like totally vertically because the bubble would be on one side of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mine is yeah. much more of a 45 yeah. you know, degree or whereas yeah. yours might be right in the 90 or who knows. But mm -hmm. Yeah. And like kind of the bubble, like kind of with like yeah maybe right there and like it's kind of like <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like vibrating back and forth like right exactly. <laughs> back and forth <laughs> yes that is true that's such a good way of describing it you know so, it, I, I agree go ahead what were you gonna say no, I was just gonna reaffirm one more time that I think the most uh important thing is to find the confidence to know what is true for ourselves mm -hmm. And yeah. then I think as people in the queer community to respect mm -hmm. differences, to say you're using the same term I do, but in a different way, or, you know, we're part of the same gender non-binary community, but your binary expressions are totally different than mine. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in no way do I have to hold you accountable to my expressions or vice yeah. versa, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. 
Yes. If that was like the anthem of humanity, that would be great. Mm -hmm. But also it is fascinating. I think speaking, you know, from the broader community because right. LGBTQ IA plus, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as it continues to grow, I mean, strength in numbers, right? So that's kind of a huge part of what was necessary is it's kind of like in order to be seen or to be heard, got to kind of band together. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I think is interesting psychologically that I've noticed um, over the years and especially in clinical work um, is this concept of quote unquote, the community, right? Um, will the community accept me? Mm-hmm. because I haven't been living in this identity or will the community accept me because I am bisexual and have not ever been with somebody in the same body type sexually? Will the community accept me if I, you know, um, am in a mixed orientation relationship, right? This, this idea of the community. And it's so fascinating because it is a psychological construct, right? It's like, what is the community anyway? Mm-hmm. It's the people that you cultivate in your life, right? Um, but but it makes sense, right? Because we're trying so hard to figure out like where do we fit in? And so it's this balance of trying to make sure you find your people. But as we're uncertain about ourselves, which is a very much normal process, looking inward, we're trying so hard to find those external validations that tell us you're okay, right? I mean, I think about that where it's like, man, that's everything. That's a huge stage of power, right? When you're feeling powerless is to look toward grades, right? They tell you you're okay, or they tell you you're smart, or they tell you you're, you know, or like evaluations, um, you know, different um, status symbols, right? Like um, tell us like we're okay, like that kind of stuff and shield us from experiencing our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a balance, right. To try to find that confidence of relationship with yourself where it's kind of like, you know, the fact of the matter is, is like, I'm going to walk through the world and I'm going to find the people who see me and I'm going to be open to experiencing those relationships. And that is going to give me an anchoring, um, within a larger picture to then continue to have permission to see myself. And there's going to be so many other people who don't, right. And even in the quote unquote, the community, there'll be so many people who don't, right? So many people who are in their own process. And even the things that I say, I mean, I'm aware of it, even talking in this podcast right now, there's always that feeling of like, oof, like, is this going to be interpreted? You know what I mean? In a way that feels um, unhelpful to somebody or something like that. And that's always a vulnerable thing and never, ever the intention Um, but I think that there is that permission and the coolest part, I mean, is realizing like the more you do that, then the more permission you give the other people around you to do that too. And then the more you get to experience like the delights of yourself, but also like the delights of how every other person is unique and that uniqueness doesn't have to then, uh, threaten, right. You, um, you don't have to then be that person in order for them to be themselves. Um, it's like the picture of actual diversity, right? That's what I was just thinking, like kind of thinking between the lines of what you're saying or kind of making my own conjecture, if you will. But this idea of like, in order to have beautiful diversity, we must also have true safety. Yes. You know, like I am safe with all of these people. And now my community, to use that word, is not only made up of lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, trans people, but also cis, straight, multicultural. And because I'm safe with all of these people, now this diverse group is my community. That's right. I think that's a really good reminder for a lot of us. Yeah. Because I think we say only these, I'm safe only with these people. Mm -hmm. Or it's hard to step out of Mm-hmm. that pocket of being safe only within the queer community because yeah it's been so painful to not find safety outside of it i mean there's so many different things <sighs> here but and it's safety to not find safety within it too right like there's that piece i mean my goodness that happens all the time mm-hmm. right i mean so many of our clients are just like having to navigate that where it's like you know they're not the quote-unquote typical gay guy 
or they're not the quote unquote typical lesbian mm -hmm. or, you know, typical trans person or whatever, which is kind of like, what does that even mean? <laughs> but that's so human, right? But I think back to what you were saying about yeah, cultivating safety, it's, I think it does. It's that both and it starts within, right? It's, it's like, am I even, am I even safe inside of myself? Am I connected and integrated and connect and aware of myself? Because when we look to the shifting sands of all of the external things in the world to do that for us, it's very anxiety producing, right? Cause it's constantly changing. I mean, think about just fashion, right? It's like constantly changing. So it's kind of like, but that's the reason part of it. Why, right? Like, I mean, people want to like be regulated and I think there's so much fun um, with it. That's a whole nother thing, but like, um, you know, I think, it's kind of like balancing that because of course we need some external regulation to some degree because we're relational beings, right? It's just trying to figure out that level, right? Where it's kind of like, okay, how much is the outside affecting the inside? And then what is it that I need to do with the inside in order to be effectual essentially on the outside, um, you know, and, and invitational, um, that kind of idea. But yeah, even going back to that, I think, I think mentally that is, it's like, it becomes kind of the picture of nervousness, right? The community, right? Like, I think people almost imagine like walking into some kind of nightclub and it's like, there's this almost like mass of people that are going to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. They're going to clap for you or they're going to boo at you. Right. Um, and it's like so much more individualized than that. Um, and I think that's the other piece of it too. And recognizing that there could be disappointment there, right? Because there's a lot of people within the quote unquote community, right? Mm -hmm. That um, really haven't done this work yet, right? And are actually very rigid because of their own pain, right? And it makes sense to me. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you have been ostracized, bullied, hurt, misunderstood, told you're wrong, right? Um, it it kind of soothes that part of you in a way that's, you know, not long-term fruitful, but it soothes that part of you to then try to do that to other people, right? Sure. And say, now I have the power to say, you're right, you're wrong, you're problematic, you're not. And I think in some ways, that's actually where a lot of the harshness stems from, which is super sad because we have the ability to like support, heal and be like, so like powerful. I think of that like Maya Angelou, you know, quote where it's kind of like, you know, the scariest thing essentially is like recognizing the power that we do have in the world. That's the thing that we're most terrified of. It's, you know, that element of, um, you know, really walking, walking through that pathway, right. And being our whole self and, um, navigating that it's intense work. <laughs> and it's so lifelong right it's ongoing Absolutely. there's so many seasons and I feel like just as much as I experience the fluctuation between female and male or masculinity and femininity mm -hmm. you also feel the fluctuation of feeling so tied to my most powerful self mm -hmm. from it you know yeah, some days it's like sure. I got it I'm in alignment I'm here I'm showing up and then the next day it's like where's my creativity where's my power yeah and I think uh totally yeah to kind of respect that some days uh maybe we grow more and more into it so it's more and more consistent I don't know but <laughs> yeah. I can tell at 37 years old <laughs> I do feel like there are seasons when it's, it almost feels intentional to say right now I am supposed to mm. be in it. And then there's other seasons where it's like, I'm supposed to grow and I'm supposed right. to rest and I'm supposed to um, yeah. enjoy other facets of me. I don't know if that's- Yes, good, that's, that's a really good way of saying that. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I think about that, like, you know, you know, very metaphorically, right? But like true, like the seasons of life, like being kind of like the seasons we go through, like mm -hmm. the tree like gets to bloom and like be in spring and have all of these leaves, but because of the winter and the winter is like a little bleaker and it's a little, 
you know, harsher to some extent, but that's when the roots grow. And if we embrace that, then we get to have bigger, bigger branches and more full trees in the spring and summer. Right. And I think that's just a challenge because right, we're so driven toward trying to preserve and maintain and stay in a perpetual spring and summer. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, throughout life. Right. And that's the part where we feel most connected and like, like flourishing and like all of this stuff. But I agree with you. I mean, it's in those seasons when it's seemingly dead or stripped away or whatnot, and it's a little bleaker that the roots grow and then something else more abundant can actually take place I could not have envisioned in the previous one. And if I had held on too tightly, you know, toward trying to maintain a perpetual state, um, I would have missed it. Right. And so there is, I think that ebb and flow and the permission, but it's kind of that sense too of realizing like, okay, like the roots are really important because otherwise the tree can topple over. For sure. Right. Um, And I think that's the balance of like accepting that um, fluctuation where it doesn't mean that there isn't the tree, right. The tree is still there. Right. It just may feel more vulnerable or like whipped around. It is a, an interesting element. And I think that's the other piece is, yeah, we have to accept the both end, right. And celebrate when we feel seen and celebrate when we feel understood, um, celebrate when we feel connected to ourselves, connected to others and have that richness. And then also recognize that like, there just won't be a reality that we create that prevents us from having to grieve Mm -hmm. the ways in which we are misunderstood, the ways in which we aren't seen, the ways in which we're assumed about, right? And boxed in. Um, And that actually is, you know, uh, it, it is the complexity of literally being human. It's just that I think on a spectrum, there's more people who choose, right, to not see those different facets of themselves because it's a way to bypass the pain for sure but it's still there mm-hmm. it's like still there for sure none of us get to escape it yeah yeah but i do i think i'm i'm resonating a little bit with the weight of phobia when i think about this particular topic and how hard that is and how sad it is um because you know, I mean, I guess I'm just like tapping into like a pretty deep wave of grief and my heart goes out to all of us, like myself included, but every single person I know where it's like, man, to experience the fact that like people literally have a phobia about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's so, so painful. Yes. It shows up in the world in so many different ways through rhetoric, through language, through vocal expressions, through um, treatment and injustice. Like it, it just, it kind of bombards us in so many subtle ways that it's, this is the frustrating part for me as someone who's lived through this and as a Mm -hmm. Christian who sees it in other people, but that we start to internalize it. Yep and that we use their shame against ourselves yeah but this time without them we just picked it up yeah. and started using it you know and i do think that that's uh that's kind of why i like this confidence that you express because it's uh it feels very sturdy mm. to say when those hurricanes come and my branches are Mm-hmm. In the wind, I know that they're strong enough, and part of that is because Tim is such a beautiful root system. But also, yeah, yeah, part of that is because um, I've taken time to really mm-hmm. understand what this means mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. beautiful it is, and yeah, yeah, and that we would each be okay ultimately without each other. If we had to be right. Like we hope not never happens, or at least not in any time soon. Mm-hmm. But there is that like piece of, of, of that. And honestly, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, right. The antidote to fear is love. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we internalize the phobias around us, the, you know, hatred or the, the fear really, which is all what that roots into the only antidote is, is love, right. Is to connect and to love ourselves and to love others as best we can, um, you know, and that's really hard work. It is so hard mm-hmm. 
it's so powerful, but it's also not a given. It takes energy. It takes work. It takes, um, you know, like saying, Hey, I'm not going to let the world harden me. I'm going to continue to even through tears, even through grief, hardship, trauma, loss, mm-hmm. find that ember, find that glow, find that, you know, part where I can say I'm worthy of love. I'm going to love myself and I'm going to love other people. Um, and that's, I think, you know, the only antidote to this. And boy, how different the world would be if we could all just do that. But, you know. Yeah. I do think about this from time to time. But the idea for me, and this is kind of where I land as a therapist, but it was this Mm -hmm. experience of discovering not just how to love myself, but to to experience what it felt like Mm -hmm. to... Uh, I'll be redundant here, but what it felt like to feel my own inherent value, not just learn about it, uh, you know, not just to swallow this fact, I'm inherently valuable, Yes, actually feel inherently valuable was the beginning for me to love who I am. And then I began to see the inherent value in everybody else. Yep. And I don't think if, from, from a clinical perspective, I could be wrong, but I don't see how, if we don't know how to feel inherently valuable, we might mm-hmm. still hold criticisms for ourselves and therefore mm-hmm. we'll be critical of all of those parts and other people. I agree. So I think the how part is embracing our inherent worth as, mm-hmm. as a way to get to that love for self and love for others. Yeah, I completely resonate with that for sure, right? Because even if people are like, oh no, I see how awesome everybody else is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? That can be the way, like it's like really tricky is that like that then is a shame narrative that's separating and mm-hmm. also um, a little dangerous from the lens of like every single human being on the planet has flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? But sometimes we can kind of play that game where it's like everybody has got this figured out more than me or they're better off than I am or whatnot. Every year as we approach Pride, I try to think of it from different perspectives because I want to honor the totality, the holistic approach of our lives. Of course, Pride is all about self-esteem and celebrating who we are, and I think that's wonderful. This year, however, I want to emphasize where we are culturally after George Floyd's death and all of the work of Black Lives Matter. I thought that I would really focus on pride this year in terms of anti-transphobia, anti-homophobia, anti-biphobia, basically anti-oppression. As I listen to stories like Jamie's, I think that there is such beauty in overcoming the oppression one person, one story, one family at a time. Because this is in many ways how we tear down oppression at large. When I was an undergrad student in one of my sociology classes, we talked about this theory of being a simplistic interactionist. And these theorists describe a a system where each small interaction, every simple little interaction on the street, in our homes, in our cars, through media, They add up, creating our culture. And if we have all of these little simple interactions that counter culture or counter oppression, sooner or later we will see the demise and the destruction of the one thing holding us back. As a friend and a co-worker with Jamie, I get a good view into their life, and they are just so full of love and strength. But one of the things that I appreciate about Jamie the most is their confidence the ability to almost appear culturally as a heterosexual family unit and yet to hold with such grace and stamina this queer identity as being non-binary. It is amazing to me. And I find this to be so salient because it is the self-esteem in many ways that helps us push back and tear down the oppression 
the anti-trans, the transphobia in the world. I mention this as part of pride, that as we reflect on who we are and how we have overcome oppression in our stories, even though there's probably much more to overcome and step over and tear down, that we all take a second to identify the ways in which we have used our story and our internal truth to fight against the local homophobia, whether it be in our families, our churches, our jobs, our cultures, and even that big one that rests within inside of us, that internalized transphobia or that internalized homophobia. As you move throughout Pride this month, I hope that you take time to recognize that we have a lot of work to do and that we get to celebrate the work we have accomplished. As I watched the hundreds of thousands of people across the world march in honor of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, I cannot help but be inspired to speak my truth as a way of tearing down oppression. And I hope you find that courage as well. Until next time. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. <laughs>